0: Welcome to the
1: Daughters Project podcast. We're so glad you're here. Join us this season as we get to know some of our sisters as well as women from all walks of life as they gather around the mics every week. You can find out more about our work at thedaughtersproject.com and on social media at DaughterSTPaul. Enjoy today's episode.
2: Welcome to the Daughter's Project Podcast. I am Sister Benedicta coming in from Boston, Massachusetts. And I'm Sister Tracy from Chicago. How are you doing today, Sister Tracy? I'm doing good. Happy birthday, girl. Thank you.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yesterday, um, I was talking with one of the sisters and she said to me, so are you going to do anything different tomorrow morning? You know that it's Mm -hmm. your birthday. And we've already discussed how I'm an early bird and I was like you know mm-hmm. most days like if I've slept well my first thought is like wow thanks God thanks for today thanks for that good sleep it's so basic but it's like you just feel this I wish that was my first thought Sister. I know, I was my first I know. Thought it's morning. not always because I don't <laughs> okay. always sleep well so um but she said to me well I think you should go in the mirror and look at yourself and say thank you Lord for the gift of my life and thank you for who I am. And thank you mm. for all the things that you've given me to make me who I am. And I pray mm. to live this day in your sight and in your glory, for your glory. And I was like, well, that was good. So I, I did that. it. I did it. As I was brushing my teeth,
2: I was good like, job. thank you, Lord. Good job. And that particular sister mm. has a, a, an oh. incredible gift. Yes, yes. so she, particular baked yeah. goods. So,
0: you know, in community, we ask each other, like, you know, what do you want for your birthday? How can we make it special? And um, I'm a big, big chocolate fan. I think Mm -hmm. I just take after my dad and chocolate is the best. And whenever we Mm -hmm. had Neapolitan ice cream, I dug out the chocolate. Everything else is left for those who deign to eat the pink stuff. Anyway, so (laughs) I said, I want, you know, chocolate. And she's famous in our community for cupcakes. She really is. So I was like, sister. (laughs) Can you make
2: me some cupcakes, please? And And I have to say, like, I'm happy she's there for your birthday. Mm -hmm. But she did just leave my community. I know. And we miss her. I'm sorry. And we miss her cupcakes. I'm really sorry. But I'm not. I'm not sorry. Sorry, not sorry.
0: (laughs) Anyways, I I said I love chocolate. And so she was in the kitchen. Now she has had like sort of a a protective gaze over her recipes. (laughs) She does not hand them out willy-nilly i mean you basically have to do like calisthenics and um fasting for 40 days before you can deign to have her (laughs) recipe so she though um she was telling me as she was making the cupcakes which did not take a short amount of time i mean these are not just like flash in the pan cupcakes she these are not from a box no so I noticed she had her re- her ingredients on the counter for all to see.
2: I thought, mm, she's mm-hmm. getting a little loosey-goosey. And there's some surprising ones usually. I know. Stuff you Well, not part expect.
0: of what she said to me as she was making the cupcake batter, she goes, oh, there's coffee in it. I was like, oh, there is a God in heaven. Because not only do I like chocolate, but I love coffee. And then I saw the icing mix and Dad Aww. had like, I'm not going to say how many, but a more than one stick of butter.
2: I'm like, yeah,
0: score! <laughs> oh, so we are thrilled oh, and so happy much. and excited. So
2: I love it. I love it. Oh, well, good. I'm glad you're being properly celebrated on your yeah, birthday, Yeah, it's a blessing. So that's kind of like
0: what we're doing in the convent. But one of the things we love to do here at the early stage of our little podcast is we talk about things that we overhear in the convent but, Sister mm-hmm. Julie Benedicta, I think you said that there's something you saw
2: in the convent. Something I saw Witnessed. in the convent. And it was too good to not use. Mm. So we were having a meeting the other day, a group of us. And I'll just say that this happened to one of the sisters who was hosting the podcast last season. I'll just leave it at that.
0: Oh. You all are familiar with her. We might have to do a little contest to see who win. who can guess oh, the identity.
2: Oh, yeah. Okay. If you think you know who it is, tag us on Twitter. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Okay, so we're sitting down. We're going to have a meeting. We know that the meeting is going to be maybe a little contentious, maybe a little intense. So one of the sisters brought in a bottle of holy water. We're all blessing ourselves before we start this meeting. I mean, they we could just stop right do. there, like that. Well,
0: <laughs> that's, that's true. That's true. what we do in the <laughs> convent, and that is a suggestion for all of your own homes that you have a little bottle of holy water that you can just sprinkle on, you know, situations Ooh, that are yeah. difficult. Bonus advice from the convent. Yeah. So okay. yeah, so yeah,
2: Okay, so we're passing around the holy water, and the holy water's made it about halfway around the table, and this conference room has chairs that really were made for a carpeted floor, but it's a wood floor in this room, hmm. so they roll maybe a little too easy, hmm. and so it's always just a little bit, like, you have to be really careful when slippery. you sit down in them so slippery? that you don't go, especially when you're in one place, so you don't go rolling out the door, yeah. actually, right? Yeah. So one of the sisters, the one... The one you're going to guess who it is. She who Um, shall not be named. (laughs) She who shall not be named. She sits down in the chair. Only she misses the chair. The chair goes out the door. She lands on the floor. Nun's on either side of her, like jumping to her aid. And from across the table comes flying sprinkles of holy water onto her head, (laughs) and she's sitting on the floor just cracking up. Wow! And I have to confess, I was in the room just laughing. I was not one of the ones who went to help. I was not one of the ones who had the quick wit to throw holy water on her. I just was very entertained. Well, she's pretty
0: spry, so you know she is.
2: We can, we can. Some,
0: some of these uh, situations are. It's okay to laugh.
2: It, and she was laughing, so I think yeah. it was uh, it was fair game. That's but.
0: really great. I love the spring holy water from across <laughs> the room. That's like the fire hydrant nun response.
2: <laughs> some, somebody else goes, "Did you just throw holy water on her?" Yeah. <laughs> Well, yeah. <laughs> protection. That's it. That's, Amen. And aren't Amen. we going to be talking a little bit about the theme? Of we are going to be talking about the theme of protection. So maybe this is a good time to introduce our guest today. So we are so excited to have with us Natalie alfaro frazier with us. And Natalie, just welcome. And would you like to introduce yourself a little bit?
1: Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I'm Natalie. Um, I currently live in Nashville, Tennessee with my three kids five three and six months old Um, so I have Oscar who's five Olivia who is three and then Camila who is uh, six months but we call her Mila Mila. and we've lived here for oh gosh coming on to two years Mm. I guess Maybe three. I am originally from California. Ah, so, what part of California? Um, I come from the Carmel Monterey area, which is about two hours south of San Francisco. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I was so lucky to grow up in truly one of the most beautiful places mm-hmm. in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and as far as I'm concerned, California will always be home. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and hoping to make it back there, but Nashville's been pretty good to us so far. Yeah, and so I'm. A mom and a wife, uh, but I also have a heart for social justice mm-hmm. and am a nonprofit consultant and have worked in the world of social change in the public sector and through the work of nonprofits for about 10 years. So I have my bachelor's in global development studies, um, and then my master's in public administration. So something that I feel really lucky that I've been able to really cross my profession and my professional work with where my heart really lies Mm -hmm. and like kind of what helps get me through every day. And that is really my, my passion for social justice and what that looks like. And The way that I often describe where I thrive is the intersection of social change, social justice, and Catholicism, Mm -hmm. um, because there's such rich history there. Mm -hmm. um, And I don't feel alone in that intersection, especially with the communion of saints and so many people doing the good work that also really find their heart beating in that intersection. Mm
0: -hmm. It's so neat to hear you speak because it kind of grounds it. In my experience, the words, things like development or social change, you just seem to be so big. I'm from a small town in a small part of the South, and you tend to kind of see yourself as like just a small little part. And many times, like, how much of an effect do I really have, you know? And it's so beautiful to see, though, that the Lord can use desires that we have to bring us out of that idea that we're only isolated and, or, or that we have little effect, God can really draw us into this more integrated sense of what we believe and how what we believe does have an impact and a, an effect on the world we live in.
2: I love, too, what you're saying, Natalie, and I'm going to probably call out a little bit of Sister Tracy here too like what you're saying about the intersection between social justice and social change and like your work with nonprofit. I love what comes out a little bit in in the little bit that you share on social media and in in the letter that you wrote for a place to belong is your love for the people that are affected by the things that are done and I think I've heard Sister Tracy because you work a little bit in in development as well Mm -hmm. and so I've heard you talk about the need to develop the people mm. as much as you're developing the business model mm. or whatever. Mm-hmm. And just, I think that that's such a humanizing way to think about doing things. And it's such a beautiful gift that our femininity brings mm. to getting stuff done, mm-hmm. right? So I just, I think that's so cool. Yeah. yeah.
1: Well, and I think something that hearing both of you speak brings to my mind is from a lot of the... The traditions that I grew up in, and and where I kind of like cut my teeth um, professionally as far as community organizing and social justice work, a lot of that has a lot of focus on identity and mm. and how we see ourselves in community, and um, and I think that's what's so fun, I guess, about grassroots work and social social justice work that's really done from like the bottom up is that a lot of these folks really are looking at relationship and what our relationship is to one another and then what's our relationship to systems and trying to bring systems back down to humanity mm. what's so inspiring to me is hearing a lot of these community organizers that we look up to and it's people like dorothy day and the caesar chavez's and martin luther king jr when you really look at their writings and the things that they were saying, so much of it is recognizing that the way that we see ourselves is how we relate to the community around us. Mm-hmm. And by recognizing that we find our identity reflected back to us in the people around us and how that ties into each of us being image bearers of God, it gives a purpose to the work and it does, it brings us back down to the reason that we're fighting for equity in these systems and for the dignity of life from womb to tomb is because we recognize How we all are connected to one another in the body of Christ. Mm -hmm. And I think that can be the humbling piece of all of it is that if we can remember that humility that we're part of the body of Christ and we need one another, but we also need to see how we relate to one another to see what that bigger picture is. Because it can, you know, if you feel like you're just the toe and you don't see why the toe is so important to how it gives balance to the rest of the foot, Mm. that then gives balance to the body and the leg. Um, then you start to realize like, oh, this work in the toe is really, really important.
0: Yeah. All you have to do is stub your toe in the middle of the night and you're yeah. not walking <laughs> anymore. You realize it is. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And you realize that like, oh, your leg needs your toe. Mm-hmm. Like you, the community needs every piece and aspect of it. Mm-hmm. And so if you can give voice to that, mm-hmm. that's
2: the sweet spot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love too when in your letter, when you're talking about not being comfortable with female stereotypes. And sometimes I'm not even sure I can define what those are anymore apart from like what I might, what I might like associate with, I don't know, my baby niece, like wanting to wear her pink frilly bows or something, you know, but like, it's almost like I just have, I feel so separate from, from these kind of stereotypes in a certain way. But I know that that's something that I've been able to kind of grow into getting around but I remember very much when I was younger struggling with these things and I'm sure lots of people do still still struggle with that and and being able to kind of step out of that I think something that's not a stereotype that should be is kind of exactly what you're talking about right like the humanizing and the not quite secret but maybe kind of hidden way that that women are able to stabilize a whole system you know whether mm-hmm. that's a body or a family or a community or, or a business like, Kind of the more sort of hidden, balancing, kind of constantly moving way, which requires so much strength. Yeah. And, um, and a capacity and, to adapt. Yeah. To be attentive. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I was thinking too, Natalie, if, like even just to help us to know you a bit more, like what are, who are the people in your own like development as you were a child and growing and to, to help you to see in this way?
1: Yeah. Something that I think about a lot, Um, the first person that comes to my mind is my grandmother, my paternal grandmother. So my dad's mom, um, Mercedes, who uh, grew up in Nicaragua, um, and my dad's from Nicaragua. So I think from a really young age, I knew the story of how that side of the family came to the United States and the struggles that that brought with it. And kind of the hidden story that I think that we often miss when we talk about big groups of people as a block, um, and we lose the individual stories, um, is that the life that they had in Nicaragua was a totally different world going on, and then came to the United States as political refugees during the Civil War. And something that I thought about a lot as a kid growing up really was the way in which my grandmother was steadfast in her faith through all of it and through all of the trauma that they saw because before there was a civil war there was an earthquake that just flattened the capital of nicaragua where Mm -hmm. they lived and so they lost their business and it was my grandma who really was the one that held the family together she had six sons which blows my mind <laughs> and As a strong woman <laughs> yeah um, and before she had my dad who's the oldest of those six brothers she had been married previously and had had a daughter and in a very short amount of time lost her first husband and lost that daughter in infancy so so much of her life is just this overcoming obstacle after obstacle and trauma and yet, what I remember of my grandma and she's still alive and and feisty as ever. But my early memories of her are her sitting on her couch with her rosary beads. And so I think that when I think back on like, how did I get here? And like, why is this a fire in my belly? And I think it's because from a young age, I was noticing the through line to these stories in my own family um, and then I feel lucky that I had, I had adults around me that, that allowed for me to ask questions about, well, this doesn't seem fair, or this doesn't seem right. And mm. and I had people around me who, instead of saying, don't worry about it, or you'll figure it out later, actually took the time to flesh out some of these things with me. So I'll never forget. I was probably like eight and I was in the car with my mom um, and I think my dad and they're talking about politics and that's another piece of it. As I grew up in a household where politics were debated and discussed frequently, <laughs> but um, you know, and I remember they're talking about something and I, I just chime in. I'm like, wouldn't it be easier if just one person was in charge and everybody had the equal amount of everything. And instead of my mom being like, oh, like that doesn't work. She actually talked to me about like, well, tell me more about why you think that would work. And what do you think some of the problems would be? And I was young, but I really have to hand it to both my parents to entertaining those conversations with me from a young age, and then pointing me in the direction of learning more about people who are involved in social justice work. And, um, but I also come by, it honestly, I have community organizers, in aunts and uncles around me. So, Mm -hmm. (laughs) and so I think that's part of the reason it was kind of like inherent in, in my family tradition. And, and it wasn't seen as problem maker or like unneeded to talk about this, or you're just causing problems. It was actually embraced in a lot of ways. So, Mm -hmm. um, and I think my mom knew, especially because we were growing up in a predominantly white upper-class community knew that it was important for my sister and I to be able to ask these questions. And it caused a lot of tension in our identity of, okay, so we're Hispanic and we, we really identify with our Nicaraguan culture. And that's like the food that we ate growing up and the music that we listened to, but the world around us was really different than that. And um, my parents gave us a lot of space to, to wrestle with that tension. So I think it gave me some empathy for the struggles that I saw around me. And I'm just realizing that humans are complex. And I think I I got to see that (laughs) Mm -hmm. and hear other, hear adults in my life talk about that Mm -hmm. and be honest about Mm -hmm. that. Um, And then I feel really lucky that as (laughs) a very outspoken kid, instead of being labeled as like a troublemaker or dramatic which I did get labeled as dramatic quite a bit but um I did have adults in my life that were like hey these are also leadership capabilities and mm-hmm. if we can kind of steer Natalie into leadership roles and give her a sense of purpose, <laughs> um, maybe she won't be as disruptive in a way that is distracting to other students <laughs> um and I think that helps me realize like, oh, I can do, I can do these things, um, and not feel silenced and still feel like I have a say and I'm being listened to. And I have to give a lot of credit to, I was in a school district that allowed for that to happen. Mm -hmm. Um, and not all school districts are necessarily known, (laughs) uh, for, (laughs) for that, but, um, and it makes me sad because as I see program for programs for youth change over time within the public school setting, um, a lot of those opportunities are being eliminated for kids. And I, I do give a lot of stock to my opportunity to be in leadership positions that they let us do things that they would probably never let teenagers do anymore. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. but it was, it was an opportunity for growth and character building and r- recognizing like, oh, this is how you speak professionally and um, how to really galvanize that energy and then focus it into um, good work. I had a lot of adults that caught on to that and knew how to, how to hold space for it and let me figure out and mess up, but also then let me try again mm-hmm and i feel really i do feel really fortunate about that because i i know people that very similar personality as mine and were kind of pushed to the side and not given that opportunity to like refine those skills in a way that would be helpful <laughs> And so I do, I have, because of that, I also have a lot of respect for young people and teenagers and the wisdom that they can bring. They just often don't know how to speak to it or bring it to the forefront in a way that society deems appropriate. But Mm -hmm. if we can give them the space to just try it out (laughs) um, and mess up and then come back at it, I think that that's where so much... Good change comes from is that energy from young people because mm. um, I still consider myself young, but I don't have the same energy I did when <laughs> I was
0: nineteen. <laughs> yeah, for it's, sure. it's 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 yeah. different, but you have an energy that probably has been maturing over time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
2: that's a good one to put. It. <laughs> I was I was thinking as you were talking about um, the way that your heritage kind of informs your passion and your desire to get involved in some of these things. I was thinking too about the way that you were describing how the Blessed Mother becomes such a symbol for this, especially Mm. in in Latin American countries and Latin American movements. And I think that's really true. I have um, a lot of my closest friends growing up have, have been Latinas and like they have a different way of understanding the Blessed Mother, I think, than sometimes we do here in the North. And I used to be a youth minister, and one of the things that I used to do with the kids is especially when stuff was, like, really difficult or when we were pushing through, like, when I, on a community project or something, um, I would get them to chant, Hail Mary, full of grace, punch that devil in the face, right? And I think that that's, like, one of the ways of thinking about her that we almost kind of, like, sanitize her and, like, keep her yes, just looking pretty and clean and on the altar with her flowers and And I love the way that you write about the Sorrowful Mother and your relationship to her. So I wonder if you could just say a few things about about that and how that came to be.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I think, I I think, too, this is where my grandma comes in, right, of like the females that I had in my life and the maternal figures that I had in my life were not, and my mom too, (laughs) um, were not that sanitized version (laughs) of femininity. And so I think that plays a role in how I've always seen Mary. But I agree that I feel lucky that I grew up with a Latina understanding of Mary because I think it, I agree. I think there's a fullness in that devotion that a lot of Latinas have, especially to like Our Lady of Guadalupe and Our Lady of Charity. And I think that I've always seen Mary... Like my, my earliest memories of like the images I saw of Mary, a lot of them were her um, near the cross or at the foot of the cross mm-hmm. or um, just in a, a posture or a position that was really open because mm-hmm. I think of so many of them, you know, she's standing with her hands to her side and, and open kind of Mm. almost like waiting for you to come and run up to her. It's like, come at me, bro. Um, (laughs) Yeah. yeah. Come at me, bro. Um, Yeah. And, and so I think that like the combination of these strong women in my life and just relating to femininity in that way. And then just the images that I saw of Mary growing up helped me see into the power of her sorrow that. She is a mom that was suffering and lost her son. And I think something that's beautiful about the Catholic tradition is that we don't turn away from that and we don't shy away from that. If anything in the Easter story, she plays such an important role and her, her heartbreak and her sorrow are center stage in so much of that story. And I appreciate that, especially now as a mom, it's not all sunshine and rainbows and there's a lot of difficulty that can come with motherhood and something that a a big theme of the letter that I wrote for the project is that my daughter Olivia was born eight weeks early with a skin condition that we didn't know about until she was on this side of my womb. And it threw us all into kind of a tizzy, including the doctors and nurses, because it, it's so rare that only one person in the room had an idea of what it might be. And mm-hmm. so uh, we were given really dire information from the get-go. And luckily, it was outdated information, and <laughs> her prospects Lord. were much, Praise yeah, Lord. and her prospects are much better. Mm-hmm. And- She's now a three-year-old that loves all the things that three-year-olds love and (laughs) says no, like any other Um, (laughs) three-year-old. But in the moment, you know, I just, I did, I felt so much connection to Mary in her sorrow Mm -hmm. and knew that there's a strength that, that can be pulled from that as Mm -hmm. moms that, and not just biological moms, but spiritual mothers. Mm -hmm. And I think this circles back to what we were talking about at the beginning of understanding um the dignity of all humans and if we can look at others as if we're in like a mother daughter or mother son relationship with others um remembering that everyone has a mom (laughs) and everyone is a son or a daughter to somebody Mm -hmm. I think helps with some of that work but with Olivia's birth um I felt like I had so much wisdom to draw on from Mary and from other mothers that have been in similar situations. I wasn't the only one that's been in the labor and delivery room that after the baby was born was thrown into a world of chaos and unknowns. Mm -hmm. And there's so much strength that can be pulled from that. But something that someone told me, and I, I share a little bit about this in the letter, but something that someone shared with me is about how some much of how Mary is depicted is like, oh, she's your mother and warm embrace and all of these things, which is great. And it's true. And we also talk about how Jesus can't deny a request from his mother. And again, true and beautiful, but also that her love for Jesus and her love for all of us is so strong that it actually angers the devil Mm -hmm. and and there is fear that he has of Mary. Mm-hmm. And like that is so cool that she wields <laughs> Amen, that much sister. power. Man. <laughs> right? Yeah. Like it's not just that she is this like warm and fuzzy person, but it's also that she is this force to be reckoned mm-hmm. with and that she then instills fear. In others that might not be working for the good of all of us. Right. And, and I think that there's something in that that I'm like, I want to hang out with her. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Amen. <laughs> yeah. Amen.
1: Like I, yes. I want to be on her side because if Amen. she has that much power, that just her presence at the foot of the cross um, scared the demons and out of their fear turned to anger because that's where so much anger comes from, right? Mm-hmm. Is people's fear. Mm-hmm. I think there's so much richness in that theology of recognizing that's still what's going on today with the evil that we see is that it's, it's coming from a place of fear mm-hmm. and it's, um, the devil just taking that and wielding it against ourselves. Mm-hmm. But that's where Mary has so much power. Amen. <laughs> yeah.
2: And where does her power come from? But like her trust in God. Right, her humility before God—that's that's that's really what embarrasses the devil more than anything—is that she's got more power than him, and she's so humble, like he hates that. So, like her humility before God, her trust in God, her love for her son—like all of it, all of it—is so powerful. Mm -hmm. Um, Her willingness to take all of us under her own maternity—you know, like all of these things—are. why she's mm-hmm. so powerful right yeah and and
1: the humility part of it and 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 the surrender mm-hmm. is something that I think is a, an important piece of her story and and who she is in our salvation history but um also what we can pull from her strength is when you allow for that humility to come in and to surrender and and a lot of Olivia's birth taught me a lot about surrendering mm-hmm. um because we just didn't know. Mm-hmm. We didn't mm-hmm. know if she was going to live. And then we didn't know how long. And then mm-hmm. as she kept pushing, <laughs> as Olivia kept pushing those boundaries with her own strength wow. um, and resilience, we were continue continually faced with, we just don't know. We don't know how long we're going to be in the NICU. We don't know how long before she's able to feed herself, before she's able to do whatever. And she keeps meeting these milestones, but... We as parents and those around her that love her just have to take a step back and surrender Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. our own plans and our own (laughs) thoughts Mm -hmm. and, um, and just hand it over and I, but there's been so much to learn from that Mm -hmm. and it's not easy Mm -hmm. And I hear a lot of people say, like, I found so much freedom in surrendering, and that's not <laughs> yeah. not necessarily how I feel oh, about it.
2: No. Um, and, and surrender can sound like a weakness. It, it I was sound just like thinking something that you do in your weakness yeah. that you're just like letting go of something and walking away from it, but that's not really no. surrender. Surrender requires so much
0: strength. I was thinking yeah. that image you you gave us of the. Of Mary standing, standing at the mm-hmm. foot of the cross, and mm-hmm. like you know, in in many ways, that is as women what we do. We stand with the other. Mm-hmm. We stand with mm-hmm. our children. We stand with um, those that are that are suffering. Those that need us. But it's almost like to. To stand with them, but not to stand in in their stead. Like they still have to do their part, and that's the beautiful thing yeah. about your description about about Olivia is that you know you provide the means for her to develop, but she of her own makes mm. moves out of uh, her comfort zone, if you will, to mm. to push out into the unknown and to to be able to grow and i think that that yeah. depiction even even i keep thinking of your grandmother sitting on the couch praying the rosary mm-hmm. <laughs> like yeah. in many ways our hiddenness is our standing with others as yeah. well and so it's almost like it's all together it is physical so like you're there for your daughter and you're there for those that depend on you or those that you reach out to but you're also mm-hmm. in our in our femininity we can be spiritually with physically and spiritually with people who need us by standing with them also in prayer, because it's like grace. Sometimes that's the thing that kind of catches in us. And that says, I can try, I can give this my all. I can, I can, you know, uh, reach out for help even sometimes. Um, Yeah. And these are those, that beautiful kind of uh, mysterious blend of, Physical, spiritual, uh, human, divine, it all kind of comes together in our humanity. Yeah,
1: that's beautiful. And I think that it puts me into mind, too, of when we're talking about social change and Mm -hmm. we want to see work being done a certain way, something that I have to remind myself a lot is that I can't do the work for other people. And so, so much of the work of social change and community organizing is coming next to, and something that we hear a lot, you know, is like, "I want to be a voice for the voiceless," and, and I appreciate that 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 sentiment has been called into question a little bit because is that really our role? Because mm-hmm. if we're if we're being the voice for the voiceless, we're never giving the voice to them, we're giving them the the space to to finally be able to speak up and how that has shaped how a lot of people think about the service that they do. Um, And they, you know, we can pat ourselves on the back and be like, oh, we were the voice for the voiceless today. And we went and did all of these great things. But then you have to start to think, but did I actually come alongside those Mm -hmm. that were suffering Mm -hmm. and give them a space to be heard and seen? and muster up what they needed inside of themselves to speak for themselves. Mm. And of course there's some that that's not in their capabilities, but there's so many that we we strive to serve that we forget that each person has their own dignity and and in that has their voice and has their story and you know I often think about how can how can we better especially as Catholics create that space for others to to really be seen and then feel like they have the confidence to speak to the fact that they're the experts of their own reality in their own situation and we can come alongside them in that and i think you're right it is in prayer it's in reconciliation um it's in the grieving process right and and i think about the grieving process a lot of especially gosh 20, 2020 and 2021, I think, has taught us a lot about <laughs> mm-hmm, grief mm-hmm. and how some of us really are not great at grieving. Mm-hmm. Um, and our society doesn't give us that space mm-hmm, for grieving mm-hmm. necessarily. And, but oftentimes people who are grieving really just want us to come alongside them. And our prayers offer fortitude in that yeah. and just our, our presence, you know, just being being there, praying our rosary next to them while they're working through all of it. And sometimes it is through words and actions and service, Mm -hmm. but sometimes it is just holding space. Um, And I think that we could all do a better job at holding space for others. And I think that's where we start to really learn what are our greatest needs Mm. And and how do we see ourselves in community? And it is about holding that space and hearing, truly hearing what other people are saying. And almost
0: like to do what uh sister encouraged me to do this morning for my birthday is like, in a sense, we want to be that mirror to others, to reflect back mm-hmm. to them, their dignity, their worth, their value. And and it has to be, it's almost like you can't fake it. <laughs> you yeah, have to right. truly value in order to be that mirror um the other and and i think that um in many ways we we can be that um and we have to allow ourselves to draw near like you're saying and to find the path just like we like jesus allowed himself to have limits you know he could have called 50 disciples he could have called two but he chose 12 Well, this isn't that big of a you know group of people (laughs) But that, in a sense, it's like he respected that there is human limitation. And I think it's somehow in embracing that, um, that when we do try to reflect to others, we tell them, not only are you valuable, but there is also something beautiful in your humanness and in your limitedness. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and somehow, you know, then God can do the rest. Yeah. Um, God can do the yeah. rest of that. Yes. Yes.
1: I think especially because of the pandemic and having so much time separated from my people. <laughs> um, you know, and I think that it's it's something I've been reflecting a lot about is how we, how we really do draw so much from reflecting from other people and how much of our identity really does. Uh, feel rooted in that and how lost we can feel Mm. when we start to not have that, Mm -hmm. that input coming back, but not just from other people, but also from God. And I think, you know, we were talking earlier, I think before we started recording about the importance of that time in the morning Mm. (laughs) um, to spend with God, but, and how it can posture us for the rest of the day. Mm. And I think about how by giving God some of that time um, it allows us to remember our own dignity Mm -hmm. and, and then also let God kind of show us Mm -hmm. how he wants to use us for that day Mm -hmm. in, in the dignity of others and, and trying to uphold that. And it's so much easier to do that work when you feel rested and you feel grounded Mm -hmm. and you have to take that time for God to, I'm, I feel like I'm telling myself this because I need to remember it (laughs) is (laughs) like, allow that time for God to pour that into you mm. and um, and uphold your dignity, you know, and, and have that time so that you can then go do that for mm-hmm. others.
0: I remember hearing that, you know, and you would maybe know this much more exper- experientially, but a child, a baby, when they're born, their their vision is very short, like almost only the distance of the arm length of a parent, meaning that their vision is only to your face. So that they see and they receive who they are as a person from your gaze back at them. And when I heard it spoken, it was connected to, you know, so when we pray, we like want to be arm's length from the Father. And we want Mm. him to show us through his gaze the rootedness of our identity. That it's him. It's it comes from him like he created us in his own image and likeness. Male and female, he created us. So we know that through that gift of our just being alive is that we are children of the Most High God, and no one can take that away from us because it's rooted in him and that it's an easy journey or uh, it's a temptation of daily life to always forget it. <laughs> yes, and so yeah, the task of prayer and of faith is remembering, remember who you are. Yeah, isn't that in a movie somewhere? <laughs> <laughs> remember yeah. who you are, Simba. Simba. Yeah, that's, I, I think it has to be like. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes I watch just watch that part of the Lion King, and it like. It's so profound and it reaches so deep Mm -hmm. into me. And I'm like in tears at my desk. Like, why do I do this to myself? (laughs) But it's good. But But it's
1: true. And I think and I, I have done a lot of work around identity and just recognizing like where where each person finds their identity and where that history has a pull in us. I just find it so interesting when like science matches up (laughs) with lived reality, but in more recent years, we've learned that our, our bodies hold generational trauma. Yeah. Um, And, and I think so much about how we were suspended in, like in this web with all of our ancestors and the communion of saints and those that came before us and how beautiful that is and how we, we hold so much of that history, like truly in us, Mm -hmm. in our Mm -hmm. DNA and we can work to, to heal some of that trauma so that it doesn't go forward in generations from us.
2: And how powerful that is. Mm -hmm.
1: Something that I love. And I hear Catholics say it all the time, but this idea of like, you are the answer to your grandparents prayers. Mm -hmm. Right. And Mm -hmm. And I think about like all the grandmas before us that were praying rosaries and like that's where we come from and that's where we can find our identity. And the gifts we
0: can give to to other generations beyond us. yeah,
1: Yeah, yeah, that there's like this... You know the image in my mind is just all these grandmas praying their rosaries. Yeah, Um, yeah. It's almost like you've got that
0: is an army. Yeah, and you've got that that web of the negative, maybe. But then you've got this overcoming of grace, and yes, and that's what we that's what we live in our faith, and that that I think is a big message for for us to remember. You know, Mm -hmm. totally. Mm -hmm.
1: And if if they're all praying their rosaries. The devil has no chance. No, you're <laughs> that's right. right because, that's right. <laughs> boom. because if because if Mary is who we know she is, and if she <laughs> is that much of a threat to the devil, she then can punch heck him in the face. Yes. Yeah. yeah, she can punch him in the face, yeah, and great. all of our grandmas are standing behind uh-huh. her, and they're like, yeah. "Go, girl! <laughs> wait
0: into that punch!" Yeah. like, yep. "Yeah, this I has mean. been so awesome." it's been wonderful talking with you
1: thank you so much this was great this is what i my soul needed this today
0: (laughs)
2: good good i know i was just like oh i don't want this to end and we always
0: pray that uh, the message is for it's out there and it's going to be for some hearts that are just this is exactly what they needed to hear they needed to hear your story and your Mm -hmm. journey so thank you so much for so generously sharing it with us
2: thank you well, I have a little prayer here for us to close with. Um, okay. It's uh, Thomas Aquinas praying to Mary for protection. So I thought that would be mm, kind of cool. Such yes. a great saint looking to her for, for protection as well. Mm-hmm. And yes. this is found in the Memento Mori prayer book. Um, so let's begin in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. Amen. Virgin full of goodness, mother of mercy, I entrust to you my body and my soul, my thoughts and my actions my life and my death. O oh, my queen, come to my aid and deliver me from the snares of evil. Obtain for me the grace to love my Lord Jesus Christ, your son, with a true and perfect love. And after him, O oh Mary, to love you with all my heart and above all things. Amen. 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 Virgin Mary, Mother of Jesus. Make us saints. Oh, thank you so much for joining us, Natalie. Where can people find your blog? Um, so I am at
1: coyoteandsaints.com, and then I'm on um, Instagram as Natalie Alfaro Frazier, um, and that's where I'm probably the most active. Um, okay. I just started a Twitter, but I have to say Twitter scares me. <laughs> <I> am- <laughs> yeah. It's a special place. It is a special place, but it's also <laughs> like I've seen the beauty that can come from it. But Instagram is probably the best place it's where I'm most active. Wonderful. Well, <laughs> okay, yeah.
2: good. Then we'll go find you there. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining us. And thank you to all of our listeners for joining us for this episode of the Daughters Project podcast and know that we are praying for mm-hmm. you. And uh, we, we just hope that you stay blessed all week long. We'll see you next week. Bye bye. Thank you guys.
1: Thank you so much for listening. This podcast is a fruit of the Daughters Project. This initiative of the Daughters of St. Paul to spread the gospel online is made possible by our generous Patreon supporters. Consider joining us in our mission by contributing to Patreon today. You can find us at thedaughtersproject.com and on social media at DaughterSTPaul. God bless you.